What's going on, everyone? This is Brian from We Don't Know Yet, a podcast where you learn something new every single day. Today, we have a very special guest. My good friend, Tony Robinson, is on the show. And we're going to be talking a lot about mindset, behavior. We're going to talk about family. We're going to talk about next chapters in life. And we're going to talk about this new real estate business that he kicked off. And so before we get too far in the weeds, Tony, thank you for being here, man. No, brother. Thanks for having me. I'm, I'm super excited to, to be a part of the podcast and, and kind of share a little bit of my story, man. Looking forward to it. No doubt. No doubt. So for those who don't know you, I always love to kind of give you the first page in the novel. So tell us a little bit about who you are, what you do, and kind of what you're all about. Yeah, absolutely. I'd say first and foremost, I'm a family man. Um, I'm getting married in about 60 days to my high yeah. school sweetheart. Yeah. Um, so super excited for that. Um, I'm a father. Uh, my son's 12. He'll be 13 in December. Um, so just between the two of those, they, they keep me busy. Mm. Um, outside of family, I'm a real estate investor. So I've got um, five properties right now. Uh, six we just got under contract actually yesterday. Wow. Um, so look I'm going to scale that business up. Thank you, guys. And um, when I'm not doing those things, I also have a W-2 job. So uh, I work for uh, for Tesla and supply chain. Um, and as you guys know, it's a, a big, fast-growing company. So um, a lot of demands on my time there. But, you know, just trying to find a way to make it all balance and, and make it work. Yeah. And also, I've got my own podcast, too. So if any of you are interested yeah. in real estate, um, it's called the Your First Real Estate Investment Podcast. Um, I bring guests on every single week. We talk really in-depth about their first deal. Um, how they got it done, you know, who they worked with, all this, the trials and tribulations. Um, and we, we started that podcast back in January. Um, we're, we're up to like, gosh, I don't know, almost 40,000 downloads since then. So it's, wow. it's well, mm. excited to, to help people uh, get started in the real estate journey. Without a doubt. Without a doubt. And I can definitely subscribe to that. So I yeah. listen to a few, a few shows. And so a lot of value, a lot of really great content. So um, that's going to be a really great resource for those who are interested in real estate, especially as we walk into um, a lot of economic just uncertainty. And folks are trying to understand, like, should I buy a house? Is it the best time to buy um, property to rent? And so we're going to dive into a lot more of that as well. So first and foremost, Tony, I, I need to understand because we're all entrepreneurs on this yeah. on this channel right now. And the hardest thing to do is balance. So you talked about getting married soon, having a child who's almost, you said 13, right? Right, right. Yeah, and you have all these other things. So like, what is, you know, the way that you keep balance or maybe how do you keep everything um, uh, in equilibrium so that things aren't falling too far (laughs) to the left or to the right? I think think there's two things, right? First is that um, everyone's got the same 24 hours in the day. Right. And what you hear, what you hear a lot of people say is I, I couldn't make the time to do this or I couldn't make the time to do that. But the, the truth of it is nobody has the ability to actually make time. Right. Like I haven't met a single person that can turn a 24 hour day into a, a 25 or 26 hour day. We've all, we've all got the same 24. So it's really about how are you how are you allocating your time through those throughout those 24 hours? Right. Um, and, and that's what I really try and focus on is I know, I know when I'm like the most optimal version of myself in terms of like getting work done. So it's not uncommon for me to be up at, you know, four thirty, five o'clock in the morning where I'm working on real estate from, you know, five to, to eight and I'm on my W2 from, you know, eight to six. And then it's family time after that. And then a little bit more real estate at night. Um, so you, you've got to, you've got to find a way to, to kind of carve out some time for yourself, um, I think the second thing I'll, I'll say to that too, in, in terms of balance, is that 
I, I don't think you can always be balanced, right? Mm-hmm. But like, like there are some weeks where it's like, you know, I'm, I'm doing real estate before work, I'm doing real estate after work. And, you know, the only time I really get with the family is, you know, dinner and, and saying goodnight. Um, but then there's other times where it's, you know, maybe I'm not doing any real estate that day and, you know, I, I get a little bit more free time with them. So I don't, I, I think sometimes people try and think of balances like you're, you're always kind of at this flat line when that's really not the case. It's like sometimes, you know, you're, you're leaning a little bit more this way. Uh, other times you're leaning a little bit more that way. But as long as you, you, you kind of make sure you're not leaning one way all the time, I think that's the true definition of balance. Tony, can you tell us a bit of how you actually got to that point? Because it's kind of what you just mentioned. I don't know if people caught it. You said some days you're working from 5 a.m. to 8 a.m. You're 9 to 5. Then you're working again in the evening. And Brian was talking about balance. People that are listening in would look at that, what you just said, and be like, how the hell is is the balance? balance? (laughs) Because that's a lot of work. But also, you said you're working on your seventh property or you're working on your sixth? Uh, we, we just got our sixth under contract yesterday, sixth under contract and also working at Tesla. So how did you, how did you, which one came first, Tesla or this, and how did you start melding them together? Yeah. So man, the, the real estate started, actually they both started around the same time. Um, I, I started in Tesla in 2017. Um, and then I, I, I had actually gotten a property under contract in 2017, but the deal ended up falling through, um, right around the same time. I took a year off, so I got my first property um, in 2018. Um, so uh, Tesla came first, and then the the property came afterwards. Okay, and and what got you started in, I guess, real estate in general? Because a lot of people, for a lot of people, it's mm-hmm. they don't know where to start. They don't know am I yeah. supposed to buy a home? Am I? What's the deal in terms right. of getting a property? So how did that start for you? Yeah, I'll um I'll give a lot of credit to my dad here. So as as I was growing up, um, you know, my my dad worked in corporate America, right? Um, and he he always preached to me that, you know, you you want to at some point have your money working harder than you are, right? Because if you don't, then you'll have to work every day for the rest of your life. And um, he he made the leap. This was in like two thousand five, I want to say two thousand six. Um, he was doing real estate full time. Um, his, he, he, he wasn't, uh, necessarily like investing in real estate, but he had, uh, what's, what's called like a wholesaling business, um, where he's getting undervalued properties and then he's flipping those to people that want to, uh, fix them up and do other things with them. And, and he was doing it full time, you know, and, and he had a, a pretty thriving business. Um, unfortunately 2008 hit and, uh, my dad's business didn't make it, you know, so he had to go back to, to the corporate world after that. Um, but, uh, you know, I think the lessons that he taught me, right, like he made me read Rich Dad, Poor Dad by Robert Kiyosaki when I was like 16, you know. Yeah. So just like growing up, it was drilled into me that like you, you definitely want to be successful in your career, um, but you also need to make sure that you're doing something for yourself because you never know um, what could happen in that W-2 job, right? Like it's not always secure. And, you know, m- my dad had an experience where right after I was born, he was the, the general manager for this big uh, trucking company, you know, they had, they had this big complex in Fontana and the, the company out of nowhere went bankrupt, right? Like, like no, forewar- no forewarning, you know, just hey, you don't have a job today. And, um, you know, luckily he was, he was experienced. He was able to bounce back and kind of move on. But I, I think that really showed him just how fragile, um, you know, relying only on a W-2 job can be. Um, so he just always preached that to me. So I knew growing up that even if, I went down the the corporate path that I was still going to need something on the side and, and real estate is what always made sense. So um, as soon as I had kind of the, the uh, resources to do it, I, I jumped right in. Okay. So like I told you, I listened to a lot 
a lot of your podcasts because there's a lot of us who are interested in what that next chapter in life looks like as far as owning properties and renting them out or flipping them. So walk us through that first investment or that first property because you do it really well in your show. And I think folks would really like to hear that story. Yeah, absolutely. I'll, I'll preface it by saying this, right? Um, the, the purpose of your first real estate deal is not to make you rich, right? Like, like I've interviewed almost 70 people on my podcast and not a single one of them have retired off their first deal. Like it just doesn't happen. The, the purpose of your first real estate deal is to, is to educate you. Um, the purpose of your first real estate deal is to build your confidence. It's to help you build the teams that you need. It's to help you lay the foundation so that you can get to, you know, five, 10, 20 or whatever your, your target is. So I'll start with that. Um, I bought my first property, uh, again, back in 2018. Um, I bought it out of state. I live in California in Southern California. The property's in, in Shreveport, Louisiana. So it's like Northwest Louisiana near the border of Texas. Um, I had some family out there and, uh, I went to go visit and, you know, just me being the kind of guy that, that I am, you know, I'm, I'm looking at on Zillow while I'm out there and I'm like, Oh man, you know, the, the home prices are kind of reasonable out there. And, um, it was actually my mom, my, my mom and my stepdad retired out there and they, they bought this house that had been sitting vacant for a couple of years. Um, I think they spent like $30,000 on it. They, they got a loan to do a rehab on the property. I think they spent like another $30,000 to do the rehab. So they're, they're all in for 60,000 and the house ended up appraising for almost $100,000, right? So they had instant equity of almost 40 K, um, for, for this house. And the best part of it was the bank funded their purchase price and the rehab. So they were out of pocket, like very, very little money, you know, maybe like a couple hundred dollars for like an appraisal or something like that. So when I saw that, I said, okay, if my mom and my stepdad can do it, I, I feel like I can probably make this happen too. Right. Um, so I, I reached out to that same bank. Um, I, I built a relationship with them. Um, they, they walked me through what that program was, you know, what, what kind of boxes I needed to check to make sure that it worked. Um, and I, I just went to work, man. I started looking for a property. I found a realtor. Um, through my realtor, my banking relationship, I found a general contractor. Um, I called you know, every property manager I could find in Shreveport. Um, and I just started building my team, right? So um, I found the market, I built my team, then I found the property. Um, then I went through the process of actually rehabbing it from, you know, several States away. And, and that's mm -hmm. why having a, a good team in place is, is really critical. Um, but yeah, man, we, we bought the property, uh, took about four months to get it rehabbed. Uh, we have a tenant in there and they, they've been there ever since, man. So uh, again, like I'm, I'm not making a ton of money on this property, right. And, and being transparent, um, we have a renter in place for 1450, right. 1450 a month is what they pay in rent. My mortgage on that property is about, uh, or my, my principal interest taxes and insurance, right? So all of my costs are about 1100, right? So mm -hmm. 1100, uh, 1450, that's $350 left over per month. I'm mm -hmm. paying my property manager another $100 per month, right? So my profit on that property is about 250 bucks per month. That's not life-changing money, right? Like no one's going to retire off of that, right? And, and I want to be transparent about that because I think a lot of times people hear, oh, I'm on six doors, seven doors, 10 doors. Um, and, and they think that these are like really, really big numbers. And a lot of times it's not, right? You know, you're, you're looking maybe somewhere between $200 in profit per door. Um, but that's where we're at today. That's when they got me started. I've since pivoted a little bit, right? Our strategy in real estate has grown and, and kind of matured as we learned more. Uh, but that was the first one. That's how we got it done, man. Gotcha. And I want to ask one more point before we kind of dive into more of your history, because I think a lot of people would be fascinated by your journey and like how you got to this point. But 
a lot of folks will hear this and they'll be like, all right, that's dope. You bought something in Shreveport, Louisiana to rent it out, but you didn't have your own place at that time. You know, some people think you got to buy your own place. You kind of settled, you're stable, and then you go out and you start buying all these other places. So what kind of, I think you mentioned that, you know, it was the opportunity of having a place that was a little cheaper. It was a little more um, accessible as far as like getting a good loan, getting a good bank, getting a good team. And so that opportunity, you seized it before buying your house, which you're currently in. Um, but what um, what other levers might have encouraged you to buy your own place first? And are you glad that you did? Yeah, actually. So we actually did buy our primary residence here in California first. And then, we bought the, oh, okay. yeah, and then we bought the Shreveport property. So, um, you know, for me, like I, I grew up living in apartments, right? Like mm-hmm. that was just like the life that I grew up in, right? Um, and I knew for myself, for my son, for my fiance, that I wanted us to have like a really stable foundation here at home first. So, you know, between me and my fiance, we made the choice, okay, before we start investing, let's, let's get home set up first. Um, but honestly, I think it's a personal decision, right? Like if you're, if you, if you have no real responsibility, you know, and it's just you, like, do you really need to buy a, you know, a primary residence somewhere? Probably not. You can rent, save that money and, and then go, go start building your empire. So it's really, I think on a, on a person by person basis on what makes more sense. Gotcha. Well, real quick. Cause, um, I know that we, we want to dive deeper into like you know, your past and stuff, but, um, what was, what did your education look like in terms of your, your self-learning? I know you said that, um, you, you know, your dad kind of introduced you into the whole real estate business ideas. He had you read rich dad, poor dad, yeah. but before you bought your own current property that you live in, in California and then bought the Louisiana property and then all these other properties, uh, what are, what other books did you read or resources did you try to glean from to give you some information before starting? Or did you just kind of dive in with rich dad, poor dad? <laughs> <laughs> no, that, that's a great question, man. Uh, here's what I'll say. Like the average person that I've met, um, they spend somewhere between 18 to 24 months, uh, just educating themselves through books, podcasts, YouTube, whatever it is. Um, for myself, I think I found the bigger pockets podcast first. Um, so if you're at all interested in real estate, biggerpockets.com, um, they've got one of, I think it's the biggest real estate podcast, um, out there. Um, and, and they've got uh, a membership website with with like one of the best forums I've ever been on, right? Like Uh any real estate question you can think of has probably been answered on that forum multiple times. Um, they've got a slew of books, right? They, they've got intro books, more advanced books. So like just the whole bigger pockets ecosystem. Um, if you're looking for a place to get started, that's where I'd go. Um, so I definitely spent a lot of time there. Um, man, and just so many other books, so many other podcasts, like if you just go onto the Apple podcast directory and type in real estate, there, there's so many good ones. Um, the bigger pockets one is a good one. Um, there, there's multifamily specific ones, Rod Cleef's got one. So I, I can send you guys all the ones that I like, but I would say if you're, if you're new to this, um, bigger pockets is by far the best place for you to go. In addition to my podcast, of course. Mm-hmm. Of course, yeah. of course. <laughs> Without a doubt. Yeah. Um, I think it was Gary V. Or it might have been, if not him, Tim Ferriss, but one of the two. They talk about having a, a lot of revenue streams, right? So uh, the, the average millionaire might have upwards of seven different revenue streams. So you're you're pulling from your W-2, you're pulling from your real estate business, and you have all these different ways you make money, like you said, to kind of insulate yourself if something happens. If there's an economic downturn, we could still be okay. We could still be stable. So 
I want to take people back because I met you when we were back at Cal Poly Pomona. Um, you were in uh, the engineers program and I was doing architecture and there was so many great times had. But I think my experience in college was very different from your experience because you had a young child at that time and you were running, trying to do school, trying to take care of your son and make all these different things happen. So just tell me about college from your lens, because I think we've had those conversations, but I never really got into the weeds with what you had to go through. Yeah, man. I, I think for me, you know, I went to college on, on a mission, right? Um, so I was, I was 16 years old when my son was born. Um, so I was a junior in, junior in high school. Um, so by the time I got to, to college, my son was two. And I knew, like, this, this isn't just about me, you know, going through trying to get this diploma. But, like, if I want to be able to provide for, for my son and for my future family, like, they're counting on me now, right? So I, I, I got to make sure that this works. Um, so I, I think, you know, a lot of the fun that maybe other people had in college, you know, I, I wasn't there for that, you know. It's like Friday nights, I'm, I'm, I'm at work. You know, I was working in retail at the time. I was like, I'm, I'm going to work every Friday night because that's the only time I have during, you know, I don't, I don't have any time during the week, right? Because I got my son with me. So um, even, even when I started, right? So to, to be like super transparent, um, you know, I'm, I'm not with my son's mom, right? Like the, the, mm. the, the girl that I'm marrying, she, we started dating after my son was born. Um, but like the, the first uh, quarter in college, I got served with custody papers, right? Mm. Like where, where we were fighting over custody for my son, you know? So it's like where, you know, most kids are, are you know, I don't know, waking up hungover <laughs> during their fourth mm-hmm. quarter of college. Um, I was going to the courthouse, you know, meeting with lawyers, mm. trying to fight for, for custody of my son, you know? Luckily wow. it worked out, you know, we, we you know, uh, a lot of dads, I think that have kids young, you know, they, they see their kid every other weekend or something like that. And I've been fortunate enough where, you know, he, it's split 50 50 and it's been that way. And even though there was some fighting, you know, in between like that, that never changed. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so I'm, I'm going off on a bit of a tangent, man, but, but to answer your question, I think my, my experience in college was a lot different because one, I wasn't there to, you know, even though I met some really great people, like my mm-hmm. focus was never like, I'm here to make friends. You know, it was like, mm-hmm. Hey, I'm, I'm here to get the degree. And I'm here to get it as fast as I can. And, and I'm here to move on. So um, I, I was just always like very tunnel vision when it came to it, man. Without a doubt, without a doubt, and you were in and out too, if I if I remember. So I actually ended up changing my major, right? So I started mm. off as an engineering major because not even because I liked engineering, but because again, me thinking about providing for my family, I thought engineering was going to be like the most secure mm. thing for me to do, right? Mm-hmm. So I started off as an engineer. Um, I did well, right? Like after my uh, sophomore year of college, I was interning with Chevron, and I was like, I think they had one of the highest paying internships, like paid internships at the time mm. for, for an engineering student. And I did that for two years. And after that second internship, I was like, man, I kind of hate engineering. <laughs> you know, I was like, I actually I don't, don't enjoy it. And um, I ended up taking a quarter off. Right. So I started my junior year. I, I skipped that whole first quarter because I was just so kind of confused on, on what I should be doing. Um, mm. So I took a quarter off. Um, I went back the next quarter. I took a bunch of different classes from different uh, majors and I landed on business. Um, so it, it took me a little bit longer because I switched my major when I was, you know, almost done. Um, but I ended up graduating in six years and I was, I was lucky enough to get into supply chain and, and the part of the country where we're at. And I think just the world in general is really moving towards more supply chain leaders because everything's e-commerce now and Very people nice. are trying to get stuff next day. So, um, it, it was, uh, I think good timing for me to get into this industry. 
Can you tell us some of the specifics of what like supply chain does, what it means, like what your day to day is over there? Absolutely. I mean, supply chain in general, right? Like everyone understands the the concept of Amazon Prime, right? Where if I order something today, it's going to be here in two days. Mm-hmm. There's a lot that has to happen in the background to get that material from the supplier uh, to a distribution center that's near you to actually showing up at your house. Um, so distribution and supply chain is basically moving goods from one point to another to make sure it gets to the end consumer. Um, I work for Tesla. I work in their, their service distribution network. So my team is responsible for getting parts from, uh, from our manufacturers, from our supplier partners, um, storing them in warehouses across the country. And then like, say you own a Tesla, you come in and you need new windshield wipers and, and you know, your door handle broke or something like that. Then we'll ship those parts from my distribution center to the service center that you're getting your car worked on. Uh, but we obviously want to do that as fastly and quickly and as efficiently as possible. Gotcha. And I want to ask you this, um, in terms of your pathway of going to college, graduating, getting your job at Tesla, and also starting around with real estate around the same time, do you think you could have done anything that you're doing currently in terms of the real estate earlier while you were in college? Because I know that there are a lot of college students that might be listening or people that are going to be potentially heading into college, right, to get a degree. Mm-hmm. I mean, you ended up changing from engineering to something else mm-hmm. in the middle of it. But I do know of a lot of individuals that like, let's say they were lucky enough to get into real estate when they were 19, right? right. And they still have that whole process, but now they've built something because they started earlier. Um, what can some younger individuals think about uh, in terms of getting started in real estate? Should they do it later? Do they have opportunities to start earlier? What's the, what's the idea? I think, I think there's a common uh, like misconception that, that you have to have a lot of money to get started in real estate. Um, but there's so many different ways to do it. So if you're 19 years old and you don't have a lot of capital because the average 19 year old doesn't, you can still get started in real estate investing, right? Um, I haven't done this myself, but I know a lot of folks that do and, and it's wholesaling real estate, right? Where you don't really need to have money out of pocket. You're just finding people that want to sell and maybe can't sell through a realtor because their house is beat up or they need to sell fast or something like that. And you're connecting them with an M buyer. Um, that, that's a great way to get started with limited capital. Um, if you can partner with people, right? I've, I've met so many um, busy real estate investors like myself that could use some help, you know? Um, and if you come to them as like a strong, hungry, young, ambitious person that can kind of help them knock out some of those deals, then of, of course they want to partner with you. So if you're, if you're young and you're thinking about getting started in real estate investing, I'd say educate yourself heavily, right? All the resources we talked about earlier. I say start networking with people immediately, right? I know it's a little hard right now with COVID, but um, there's so many ways to network digitally, right? There's forums, there's Facebook groups, there's virtual real estate meetups. There's so many different platforms to connect with other people. And the more people you start talking to, the more you can start identifying, you know, how you can specifically help that person. And if you're able to add value to people, that's, that's when they're willing to kind of bring you into their circle and, and you can kind of get a, a head start from there. But I, I think the one thing I'd add on to that, though, mm-hmm. is the, the average 19-year-old probably doesn't know what they want to do yet, right? <laughs> like, like I, I had, I, you, you couldn't have told me when I was 18 that I wasn't going to be an engineer. Like, that was, that was all that I thought, right? Mm-hmm. But by the time I was 21, I was like, man, this isn't what I, wanted, what I, what I want to do at all. You know, and even when I graduated, right, I graduated in 2015. And that year, guys, I think I had I had five different jobs. I had five different jobs in 2015. Okay. I had a I had a job. I was working in digital marketing before I graduated. I was working full time my last year of college. I was working in digital marketing and I really enjoyed it. I thought that that's what I was going to do. Um, So I was working at an agency while I was going to school full time as a senior. Um, Right before graduation, 
Um, I left that for a startup, right? So when I graduated, I was working for a startup. Um, I was there for six weeks. And then they were like, hey, Tony, we can't afford to pay you. We got to let you go. So six weeks after graduation, you know, I'm still riding the high of, you know, throwing my, my, my graduation cap in the air and I'm, I get let go from my job. Um, I just resigned a lease on my apartment. You know, I'm like, what am I about to do right now? Um, so I bounced around a little bit. I, I, got, I, was, I got a job like leasing apartments. Um, I was there for a couple of weeks. Um, I went back to another marketing agency. I think I was there for a couple of weeks. And then out of nowhere, um, some recruiter reaches out to me for, for a target. Um, like Target, you know, Red Bullseye Target. And mm-hmm. they were like, hey, we've got some distribution center openings uh, here in SoCal. You know, have you ever thought about working in a warehouse? And I was like, no, absolutely not. I've, I've, never, thought, <laughs> I've never thought about that. Um, but, you know, anyway, I went on the interview. I enjoyed it. And, and I've really, you know, I've stuck with it and I've enjoyed that career path. Um, so only, I'm, I'm, I'm only sharing that to say that if you are younger and, and you feel like maybe you haven't figured it out yet, it's okay, right? Because the, the you at 18 is going to be different than the you at 21, than, than the you at 25 and you at 30. And what you think you want right now may not be, be what you actually end up doing. So just give yourself some time. Without a doubt. Yeah. For the older folks who are listening, the, let's say the 20 somethings who finished college or even the young professionals we're just trying to make it right now. We realize that in this pandemic, everyone is trying to be as cash like strapped as possible, right? Just in case something happens, we have reserves, we can pull out, we could be liquid um, instead of being house rich and potentially being, you know, over leveraged, potentially, you know, especially with fire season, we could lose everything. So I think the three of us here can see the merits of having a very strong real estate portfolio, but what are some of the risks that you thought of or were very like concerned about as you were going and making this journey? I wouldn't, man, I wouldn't say I really had any, right? Like someone, I heard this quote um, and I can't remember who told it to me or where I saw it, but it was like, um, don't wait to buy real estate, buy real estate and wait, right? Like there's, if you buy real estate and you're buying for the long term, as long as you 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 bought right, it, it's almost always going to work out for you, right? Now, if you're if you're wildly overpaying for something, then then it's not a good deal, right? But I mean, if if you're if you're buying smart and and the property cash flows and it, and it kind of checks all your boxes, I mean, <laughs> you know why why not go after it? I think for me, like I've been in super acquisition mode during COVID, right? Like super acquisition mode. COVID hit in in March of this year, right? Like that's when it really kind of hit. And at that point, I only had two properties. Right. And I've purchased a property almost like every eight weeks since then. Like I'm, I'm full force going ahead. Like I so you, like you like you, you all in at this point. I'm, I'm, I'm all in. Right. Because yeah. I, I, I understand that for, for me to hit my goals, um, I've got to be really aggressive. And the, the thing I always uh, the, the thing I always think about is like, OK, what's what's the worst case scenario? Right. And this is going to be different for everybody. But I know for me, if these real estate deals don't work out, that I'm not going to end in financial ruin, right? Like I'm not spending the last that I have to, to make all these deals happen. Um, but if that is, you know, if that is your case, then maybe it's a little bit different for you. So I think you got to, every person has to ask themselves, okay, what's the worst that could happen here? And can I live with that worst case scenario? And if the answer is yes, then you have no reason not to move forward, right? If the answer is no, then maybe you pivot, maybe you find a different path forward. But I mean, if the worst case is livable, then, then why not keep moving? I want to touch on that a little bit more because I think that's a, such a great point. I was reading this article yesterday and it's, and we're seeing, especially now that we're moving towards another recession, we're seeing a lot more wall street 
investors who are entering the pot, right? So folks who used to focus on industrial, commercial are now seeing like, whoa, like this is going to be a, a big uptick in folks foreclosing or they need to just get out of their house and we could be able to buy those houses, rehab them and rent them back out. So they're pumping billions of dollars into the, re- the residential uh, market, the residential uh, real estate market. So the thing that I'm like very interested to know is kind of one, what is your kind of vision for real estate, residential real estate? And do you kind of concur with this kind of bull market that, yeah, this is going to be an opportunity that we should just buy, wait, continue. Um, And then like what your advice would be for someone now, should they just jump in or should they kind of wait to see what it looks like in the next six months to a year? Yeah. If you're thinking about doing it and you find a good deal, don't wait. Like don't Mm -hmm. wait. Right. Because again, and this goes back to my initial point is the purpose of the first deal isn't to make you rich. Right. The purpose of the first deal is to give you that education. So that way, when, when the next really good deal comes along, you can execute on that one even better than you than you would have otherwise. So if you're if you're educated. Right. If you spent the time to educate yourself and you find a deal that checks all your boxes, don't wait. Just just pull the trigger and keep moving. Um, to, to answer your first question, Brian, um, you know, a lot of the, the really, really smart people that I know in real estate, they're, they're echoing a similar point, right? That there's probably going to be some kind of market correction where you see prices kind of fall and a lot of foreclosures and things like that happening. Um, so, I mean, you know, I'm still relatively new to real estate. I've only been doing it a couple of years. So I got to lean on the folks that are, are more knowledgeable than me. Um, so, yeah, there probably will be a big influx of cash coming in to scoop up a lot of these single family uh, properties where people kind of can hold their mortgages. Um, but honestly, I, I, you know, not, not that it's a good thing, but I, I think there will be opportunities for real estate investors to be um, uh, like opportunistic, but in a morally uh, positive way, right? Um, where it's like, hey, you, you were able to help someone out who was maybe struggling with foreclosure. You came in, you helped them, you, you, you know, took that burden off their plate, but then you made a profit along the way as well. So um, I, I would definitely start encouraging folks, if you, if you are interested in investing in real estate, start educating yourself on what that process looks like, right? Like, how do you talk to a distressed seller? Right. Like, 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 how do you talk to someone that's, that's facing foreclosure or how do you talk to someone that maybe just, you know, inherited this house from someone that passed away, but they don't have enough money to hold on to it because of everything that's going on. And how do you help them out? Um, so start researching those things, right. Um, to put yourself in the best position to capitalize on it. You know, I love the fact that you've already told us all these resources in terms of educating ourselves, because what I'm about to ask you, um, my assumption is that if you educate yourself, maybe that won't happen, but, um, you know, you said your first deal is meant to be a, a deal where you educate yourself and you learn some things, right? Mm-hmm. Meaning that there are going to be some small pitfalls that happen. There's going to be something you run into that you're going to learn from. But my question to you is like on your first deal, your second deal, right? Um, are there mistakes that a lot of people tend to make that are kind of unavoidable mistakes? Or like, is there anything that like, if you're doing your first or second deal, you should probably watch out for this because a lot of people make the same mistake. Yeah. yeah. I, I think the thing that most new investors, uh, the, the mistake that most new investors make um, is they overdo the rehab, right? And I'm, I'm talking specifically about people who are buying distressed properties that need some work, um, that need to get kind of renovated to be rentable. Um, they, they overdo the rehab, right? Like I, I spent probably, I don't know, $15,000 more on that first rehab than I needed to. Um, like, like it was like a really high level, uh, almost like a flip, right? Like I was trying to flip this to someone else. Um, but when you look at the other rentals in the market, 
I had the nicest one, you know, but, but the rent that I was able to command wasn't any higher, right? Because there was, a, there was an upward limit on the market in terms of what they pay for rentals. Yeah. Um, so that's a big mistake you see a lot of folks make. So like now as we're, as we're kind of going through our, our, our rehab bids, there's a lot more back and forth between me and the, and the GC about like, hey, take this out. Hey, why are we replacing this whole thing? Just repair it. Do we really need to do this, right? So there, there's a lot more kind of uh, dotting of the I's and crossing the T's to make sure that we're not, we're not spending money on stuff we don't need to. It's funny though, because it makes me think like, all right, it's, it's not, it's, it's business, right? But the, the nice person in you is like, I want to make this place the nicest, nicest looking possible place for whoever's going to live here. I want to give them everything. But then you're like, wait, no, I can't, I can't do right. that. You need to look nah, at that as every other place that's over here. So I can charge you the same amount. Exactly. And, and I think you want, you know, you want to make it a little bit better, right? So you stand yeah. out. But, you know, it's all about what the end goal is, right? If, if I'm buying a property and I'm flipping it because I'm going to sell it to someone and I'm, you know, and I'm thinking about a family who's going to live here and make this their home for the next, you know, 10, 15, 20 years, then the level of finish needs to be a little bit different, right? Because that's, that's what the buyer is expecting. But if I'm building a rental unit where someone's only going to be here for 12 to 18 months, like they're not going to have the same level of expectation. So it's, it's really about knowing your market, um, really about knowing your audience and then building to that, you know, catering to their needs. So you talked about goals earlier, and I want to know, ideally, if failure is not an option, what is your ideal vision for your real estate business? Yeah, man, that's a, so, sorry, let me grab something really quick. Yeah, no doubt. So, so when we talk about goals, I don't know if you guys can see this, but this is, this is like my vision board, right? Yeah. I, I try and, I've got it like right here in my office, so I see this thing every single day, and I, you know, I try and make sure that I look at it, but, mm-hmm. um, like you, you gotta have, you gotta have something that you're shooting towards. Right. And the, the long-term goal for me, honestly, is that, that I want my real estate business to do a million dollars a year. That's, that's my long-term goal. Um, how I'm going to get there, you know, it's changed a little bit. You know, initially I thought it was going to be all single family houses, but then I do the math and it's like, that's way too many, that's way too many single family houses. Um, so what, what I'm focusing on now is you, um, is, a scaling a, a multifamily business, right? Where you're buying, you know, 10, 15, 20 units at a time. Um, and then we're also buying Airbnbs. Um, so we, I just bought an Airbnb in, in Tennessee uh, last month. Uh, and then I have two Airbnbs in Joshua Tree, California under contract right now. Yeah. So we're, uh, we're looking to scale that up and, and keep growing it that way. See, I see you. I see you. Now the Joshua <laughs> Tree makes, makes more sense. Right, right. Yeah, it's a beautiful <laughs> place to, to buy, buy a property. It is. Um, no, that's awesome, man. So a million dollars... So you, so when you break it down, you're talking about, all right, some single family, some multifamily and what's your timeline look like? Because obviously you're saying every eight weeks. So mm-hmm. this might be, I don't know, three years out, five years out that you might be netting that type of profit, or maybe it's longer. So what is that like goal setting or like incremental steps that you have to take? Um, and what, when do you think you will be able to actualize that? Yeah. I mean, my, my goal is about my 35th birthday, right? So I'm, I'm 29 right now. I'll be 30 in a couple months here. And if I can do it in the next five years, I'll, I'll be happy. It's a big goal, right? And it's going to take a lot of action to make it work. But I figured if I can still acquire a property at the rate that I'm going right now, that, that I can hopefully get there. And, and it'll not just be through, through the properties, right? Like there, there are other kind of revenue streams that I'm focusing on as well, right? Like I have my podcast. Um, eventually, I want to be able to monetize that. Um, with all the things that I'm learning, I eventually want to have like an educational uh, kind of platform as well, where whether it's a book or a coaching program or something to that effect, um, you know, YouTube and growing that as a platform as well, because there's revenue that comes from that. So really just kind of 
you know, the, 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 the consistent cash flow is going to come from the properties, but then there's also these other platforms as well to build on top of it. Okay. There you go. And along with that, um, what does, what does your goals with Tesla look like? Like, cause you call that your W2 job, but mm-hmm. it kind of seems like you really do enjoy that. So it, is that something you want to be there for the long run? Cause I saw some Teslas on that vision board too, like the side <laughs> truck and something else. Yeah, yeah. 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 I mean, so here, here's my thing. I, I feel very like extremely blessed to, to be working with this company and I've grown so much as, as a person and as a leader um, and as a problem solver working here, right? Like, like you really got to be a certain type of person to, to thrive in that and in, in a company that's growing that fast. Um, so I'll, I'll be here as long as, you know, uh, here, let me, let me phrase it this way. My goal is that one day I won't need to work at Tesla, right? Like right now I have to work there, right? Like if I stop working there, then, then we're not going to be eating, right? Like the little money mm-hmm. that we're getting from the real estate, that's not going to be enough. So I just want to get to a point where I don't feel that my financial security is dependent upon Tesla and, and having the freedom to make that decision. Because if, if, if I'm making more money in real estate than I am on my W2, um, then there's a little bit less pressure, right? You're like, man, I can just kind of really enjoy the work that I'm doing and not feel this this uh, this pressure behind it to, to to really succeed. So that's that's more so what I'm looking for. So whether I leave or whether I don't, um, I'm not as concerned about that. It's just more so I want to make sure that financial I'm taking care of outside of Tesla. Gotcha. I really like that you mentioned that though, because when a lot of people do start another type of business or they, they start something, they're like, I'm going to leave this job and I'll put everything into everything into this business. But yeah. it's good to see that you're still working this. And like you mentioned, five to eight and five to eight, that's when you're working on your other, on your other business. Right. Um, so, so another question I do kind of have is uh, the amount of work that one, one should put in. So I know that you know, depending on what your goals are, that's the amount of work that you're going to put into what you're doing. So there's some people that are working on their real estate two hours a week. There's some people that are working on the real estate 30 hours a week, plus their 40 hour per week job. But to do kind of what you're doing right now, or, or to build that out, how much work each week does that require from you? Or should someone expect for that to, to require? Man, I'd, I'd probably say between like everything, it's probably somewhere around 30 hours a week, at least. Right. So it's another job. Like, yeah, yeah sure. it's legitimate uh, another job. Right. Like, I mean, the podcast by <clears throat> itself. Right. Like just, you know, interviewing folks, reaching out to people, writing the show notes. Um, I actually just hired a, my, my first virtual assistant to, to help me with with the podcast. So that's hopefully going to give me a little bit of free time back. But yeah, man, I mean, looking at properties, um, we're, <laughs> you know, we've been in, in acquisition mode a lot lately. Right. So like I don't know if you guys have bought in a house before, but there's like an extreme amount of paperwork that comes into buying a house. You know, yeah. you got to send all this stuff in and that. So just like, yeah, it's nonstop. So I'd say somewhere, somewhere around 30 hours is, is reasonable. But again, it's going to vary by the person, right? And, and you said it, it depends on what your goals are. If your goal is to do one property a year, right? And this is more so of just like a long-term retirement thing for you, then yeah, you know, you really don't need that much work, right? But if your goal is, you know, to, to grow and to scale quickly, then just like anything else, it's, it's, it's definitely going to take a lot of work. Mm. Yeah. I want to shift gears a little bit because you mentioned something earlier that I want to follow back on. You mentioned the lessons that your dad provided you and how that set you up for success. I'm interested to see what that generational teaching looks like for your son, right? And you mm-hmm. seem like someone who's really firm about mindsets, behaviors, goal setting, um, and we're big proponents for really pushing for excellence in how we do things like our actions, our words, our mindsets. So what kind of lessons 
do you provide your son? Like right now he's, you know, going into those teenage years. So some things are starting to stick. What do you provide to him that you feel like you would have liked to hear more often when you were younger? Yeah. I mean, man, like I, I preach to him so much about everything that, that I'm learning, right? There, there's so many, I take my job as a dad, like so seriously, right? Because I, I understand that I have a responsibility to my son to, to give him as many tools as I can to make sure that he's um, successful, right? And the way I look at it, my job as a parent is to make my son more successful than me. And, and that doesn't necessarily mean like financially, right? Like people think success and, and finances are the only way, but I mean, like, I want him to be happier than I am. I want mm-hmm. him to be more fulfilled than I am. I want him to have better interpersonal relations. Like I just want him in every possible aspect to have a better life than I do. Right. And I think that's what every parent should want for their kids. So, mm-hmm. you know, I say that up front because that's the frame that I approach parenting with. Right. Um, but dude, when I'm in terms of what I'm teaching him, like he's already, uh, uh, read like the rich dad, poor cat, rich dad, poor dad for kids. Um, mm-hmm. there's a, there's a board game that we play. It's called cash flow that, that the rich yeah. dad, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. that all the time. Um, I make him read, right. So he just finished, um, the seven highly habits of effective teens. So there's like a, an adult version, but he read the teen version. Nice. He's reading a book right now called grit. Um, uh, <laughs> I encouraged him to start a business. So now every Thursday, uh, when the trash cans come and pick up, he's got, I think four neighbors, uh, in the neighborhood to pay him three bucks to take their trash cans out and pull them back in. So, um, I'm just really preaching to him. Um, I feel like all of the things that have helped me be successful, right. In, in terms of like having big goals for yourself, um, pushing yourself harder than anybody else is going to push you. Right. Like mm-hmm. having super, super high. Like the thing that I tell him is that no one's expectation. My son's name is Sean. And I tell him no one's expectations of Sean should be higher than Sean's expectations of himself. Right. Because that, that's how I approach life. So I'm, I'm feeding him everything. Right. And as we, as we have deals, right. I'm talking to him about them. I'm showing him the deals and Hey, here's what we're doing. Here's how we're doing it. So I want business and success and, um, self-education to be a, a very regular part of our family dynamic. And, and it feels like we're doing that, man. Yeah, that's awesome, man. You, you're firing on all cylinders. Trying to, man. Yeah. <laughs> so what, did, what was his response? I know you did a bodybuilding show, an aesthetic show, not yeah. that long ago. So what was his response to that? Man, he, he still thinks that I'm like the buffest guy walking around. <laughs> I'm like, <laughs> not quite, but, but he, was, he, was, he was super supportive, man. And even, even for that experience, right? Like, you know, I had a trainer that I was working with, a coach that I had, and I brought him with me, right? Like he was, he was there with me. He'd be doing homework or something, but he'd be in the gym with me while I was working because I wanted him to see what, what goes into it, you know? Mm-hmm. So anytime that I'm going after something, I try and give him like that behind the scenes look to say like, hey, here's, here's, what, it, here's what it takes to kind of achieve those goals you're setting for yourself. I'm curious about this, man, Um, because, you know, you you mentioned that your dad got you into it or you kind of saw, you know, your dad deal with properties, which gave you, I don't know, that helped you get into this. But did you have any more mentors as far as real estate is concerned before you got started? Or was this a self-education thing for you? Because I know a lot of people that, you know, are really successful finding a mentor, going that route. Um, I want to know how that experience was for you a little bit later in life. Yeah. Before the first deal, no, there was no mentor, right? Um, like there was no one that I, I found. Um, I, I just kind of felt confident enough. So I, let, let me phrase it this way. When you, when you get to a point where every new book that you read about the topic is just kind of a regurgitation of stuff you've already read, mm-hmm. then you know that you, you know, you got it right. Then you're like, Oh yeah, I know this. Oh, oh yeah. I know this too. 
you know, and you're just picking up the small stuff, that's when you know that you, you should be okay to move forward. So I had read and consumed and listened uh, to so many real estate related things that I was like, man, I, I think I know enough, right? Like, like I think I got the basics. Um, as I've, as I've scaled a little bit, I do have a coach now in real estate, you know, and I'm, I'm part of a coaching program that, that I feel like it's helping me move a little bit faster and meeting folks and things like that. Um, but if you're looking for the first deal, um, I would, I would almost more so encourage people to, um, uh, invest their money and getting the first deal done as opposed to investing their money in the coaching program. Cause it, it can get expensive, man. Some of these coaching programs, um, if you can find, again, going back to my earlier point, if you can find someone who's willing to, to partner with you. Right. Because being a mentor, that, that's kind of got like a, a fuzzy kind of thing around it. Right. Like mm-hmm. um, not everyone is just going to give you their time for free. Right. Like people were busy. But if you can provide ba- provide value to people, they might be able to you know, be willing to take you under their wing and kind of show you the ropes in that way because you're giving them something in return. So, yeah, um, that, that's my thought process on that. man. Gotcha. You talked about your goals for the business. You talked about your goals for Tesla. And I'm really interested to know on the education piece, because, you know, one of the reasons we started this podcast was to connect folks to information, right? To make it digestible, make it fun um, and actionable. So somebody could listen to it and apply it the same day. So for the podcast, um, I don't think there's necessarily a ceiling, but again, what are some of the goals that you have for the podcast and this educational platform that you're going to create and who do you want to reach specifically? Yeah. Um, I mean, in terms of goals, I mean, I've, I've, I've got like a chronic uh, problem of setting goals that are like laughably big. Right. Ask my fiance, man, like when I was, you know, because I've always been entre- entrepreneurial, right? Like even when I was in college, I always had like these little things that I was working on. And, you know, my goal was to be like a millionaire by the time I was like 21. Right. So I've obviously missed that goal. But in terms of the podcast, I truly do want it to grow into the the number one resource for folks that are looking to get started in real estate. Mm-hmm. Um, because there's there's already so many uh, podcasts and books and YouTube channels and things like that um, about real estate, but but one that focuses specifically on helping people get that first deal. Like there, there just wasn't enough of it out there, right? Which is why I put my podcast in the first place. So when people think, um, how can I get my first deal done? I want them to think of Tony and the Your First Real Estate Investment brand. Um, so that, that's what I'm pushing for, man. I've got, I've got a goal that I say, I want to help 100 people become millionaires in my lifetime. Right. And I feel like if I can make that happen, then, then I've, I've fulfilled kind of what my, what my duties are. Um, because as, as much as, as much as the financial incentives help drive a lot of what I'm doing with real estate, I also know that there aren't a lot of people in real estate that look like the three of us, right? Mm-hmm. There, there's, there's, there's just not. And especially at my age, right? Mm-hmm. Like when I walk into a room, I'm typically, you know, the, one of the youngest guys and one of the only guys with a little bit of pigment in their skin, you know? So I'm trying to open up uh, what I'm doing with more folks that may not have been lucky enough um, to have a dad that, that knew real estate, right? Like uh, in, in the black community and communities of color, like it's more so about like, can we get to the next paycheck? You know, mm-hmm. not like, do we have extra money to go buy properties in Tennessee, <laughs> you know? So mm-hmm. I'm just trying to do my best to build a platform that shows people that there are other ways um, outside of just, you know, W2, uh, uh, you know, hoping that they can provide for me uh, to build your financial security, man. There you go. Yeah. That's awesome, man. Folks are going to listen to this. And we have a lot of mutual friends who listen to this show um, and a lot of um, 
folks who are in the Southern California region. So you mentioned <coughs> building out this team and you're, you're slowly adding the right parts um, to this machine that you hope will be long lasting and sustainable. If somebody's listening to this and they're like, man, that what he's saying sounds dope, I might want to invest. Are you open to those kind of partners and are you open to them also reaching out to you? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you guys can text me, my phone number, 909-587-7524. Oh, like uh, that? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, oh, for sure. I'm, I'm an open book, right? Um, I was on one of the Bigger Pockets podcasts a couple of months ago. I gave my phone number there as well, right? Like, I'm, I'm not trying to hide anything from anyone. You know, my, my goal truly is help other folks get started. Um, if you want to invest with us, um, go to alphageekcapital.com um, forward slash invest. Um, we're, we're always looking for, folk, for folks to partner with. Um, but yeah, I mean, my, my goal is to, to help whether you're, you're new, uh, whether you got a little bit of experience, whatever it is, we can find a way to work together. I'm, I'm open to it. Awesome. Awesome. I yeah. think that's a beautiful place to stop. So I want you to say a few things. So definitely say that number one more time, but then, yeah. um, mention your podcast again and where can people find you on social? Yeah, absolutely. The phone number 909-587-7524. Um, please don't be, uh, you know, get your feelings hurt if it takes me a while to respond. Um, yeah. I, I do this a lot on some of the podcasts, so it, it might take me a week, maybe even to get back to you, but just now I'll get back to you. Um, you can find my podcast at yourfirstrealestateinvestment.com forward slash iTunes um, or yourfirstrealestateinvestment.com forward slash Spotify. Um, we're, we're on both of those platforms. Um, and then if you want to hear more about investing with me and my team, um, alphageekcapital.com forward slash invest. Um, and, and we'll just more information that way as well. Awesome. Tony, man, this was an awesome show and yeah, a lot of value. So I think folks who are interested in, you know, whether it's going into real estate or just thinking about mindset and goal setting, I think they'll get a lot of takeaways. So brother, thank you again for being here. No, guys, thanks so much for having me. Um, I really appreciate what you guys are doing, spreading more knowledge on on things that don't get enough, I think, exposure. Um, so I, I appreciate it, guys, and, and happy to happy to share my story. Awesome. Awesome. With that, I think we can uh, call it a show with everyone who's, who stayed with us to the end. Uh, we'll talk to you guys very, very soon. Take care.